I'm Dana Merrill, the owner of The Designery in North Raleigh. And I am True Merrill. I am the project manager. The Designery is a lovely kitchen, bath, and closet remodeling company. We've been asked several times how to host more people or build out entertainment spaces for folks. There's a lot of things that we can do. Depending on the size of your base, we can add in an island to get you more countertop space. We can put in some larger ovens so you can cook larger meals. We do beer bars. We can do wine bars. We can do soda machines, coolers, all that kind of stuff. Please stop by our showroom, 3030 Wake Forest Road. That's The Designery at thedesignery.com. WRALFM and Capital Broadcasting. Welcome to Wine and Dandy. I'm your host, Sarah King. I'm your host, Jamie Kasky. We're here to show you wine is fun. We intend to prove it. And today we're totally going to prove it because we're uh-huh. talking about one of our favorite subjects. <laughs> it's Sophie Barrett. She works for Tall River Wine Man with my husband. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I, too, love, love, love sparkling wine. You were just telling us that you have a title. You are officially a sales rep for Hall River Wine Man, yes. the distributor. Yes. But you have a fun title that you can also claim. Yes. I am known as a friend of Bubbles. Who gave you that name? It was given to me by my friends at Transatlantic Bubbles, a small Connecticut-based champagne importer that I had a very close professional relationship with while I lived in New York. As a buyer up there, I got to go on their champagne trip a lot. And oh. then... After I stopped being a buyer and started being basically a direct competitor, I was still invited on their champagne trip. Because you're a good time. Yeah. So we would, well, and because I speak French, which none of them did. So it was partly for translation. But a lot of it um, was just because I had been sort of grandfathered into this trip to Champagne every year. So even though I was standing as a direct competitor to them, I was still traveling with them to Champagne. And we were going to tastings that required a name tag. And so everyone had the name of their company that they worked for on their name tag. And so they just went with Friend of Bubbles because I was obviously working for a competitor. Oh my God, I love it. It's nice that they stayed so inclusive. We too would like to be friends with Transatlantic Bubbles. I feel like they're A, really nice people, and B, (laughs) take you on some pretty cool trips. They are wonderful, wonderful people to know. Sadly, I was supposed to travel with them to Champagne a few weeks ago, and I elected not to go because it was the middle of the Omicron surge. Under other circumstances, I would have been happy to be stranded in Champagne for a long period of time, but it just was not going to work out this January. You have a young child, too. It's never good. Yeah. All right. Well, today we are delving into the world of bubbles and all the different types of bubbles. This is a real hardship for Sarah. I'm so... Sad today is happening. (laughs) Today we're going to be talking about different styles of bubbles and what you need to know to kind of help navigate a selection um, in a wine list or on a shelf in a store. Basically, you're demystifying champagne. I mean, I hope to. I am very, like, interested as a professional in helping people make better choices at the store and in the restaurant. Well, you know, if there's anybody in the world who's going to be able to do it, it's going to be Sophie. Yeah, I think people do get intimidated, especially if they mm-hmm. think, ooh, I'd like a little something festive, but I don't want to embarrass myself. Yeah, or I would like something festive, but I don't want to spend a ton of money. And right. the fact is, with a little bit of information, you can get a really nice bottle of wine at the price you want in the style that you want without embarrassing yourself. So I always think people are, are far away from answering the question that is the most important, namely, do I like this? You know, mm-hmm. as as long as you're answering that question when you taste a wine, you're doing, like, basically all the most important work. So. Oh, I love that. That's a little long for a T-shirt, but I <laughs> really like that. So I have the first question I have to ask you is something that bothers me. Does your eye twitch like mine does when someone refers to any sparkling wine as champagne? Certainly, yes, it does. Okay, good. Yeah, it does. It does. <laughs> my eye is twitching. My eye's been twitching for about a week, and when you started that question, I thought, is she going to talk about my eye twitching? <laughs> No, it's not about you, Jamie. Hippity-hoppity-along over here. (laughs) Sorry. 
So tell everybody, just in case they haven't heard us say this a million times, what true champagne is. Uh, True Champagne is sparkling wine that comes from the Champagne region of France. The end. Yeah, that's it. That's what Champagne is. What makes Champagne different, aside from location, from other sparkling wines? Well, the biggest thing that makes Champagne different is actually not the method, but the terroir, the the place that it's made. Uh, Champagne is really far north. It's extremely cold. That turns out to be essential to the way that the wines are made and the way that they taste. They have a particular soil type, which is, it's basically Kimmeridgean limestone, but with a lot of chalk. And so a lot of people, like when they speak about the taste of champagne, they speak about chalkiness and chalky flavors. Um, Really, the only other place that that's found in the world of sparkling wine is on the southern coast of England, where they now make some sparkling wine. Um, But that's actually quite close to champagne, and they share you know, some similarities of terroir. But that would not be considered champagne because it's from England. You really have to be within the champagne region of France to be making a proper champagne. That leads me to my next question, which is, you know, you said it's a very cold place. With climate change, is that how, is that affecting champagne at all? For sure. Uh, I mean, climate change is affecting every winemaking region in the world. Um, it is just the truth. I think there's probably an argument to be made that the warming up of champagne has produced some very, very, very good wines. And so even though we do not overall like the effects of climate change on wine in champagne, it has some perceptible benefits. Places that basically really struggled to get ripe in the past are now getting pretty ripe naturally. So that in turn reduces the amount of sugar that you then need to use in the wine to get the balance that you want. Because basically ripeness is just development of sugar in the grapes. Right. I mean, speaking specifically about champagne, the combination of riper grapes and better winemakers has resulted in some really, really good wines in what I would consider like the post-beginning of climate change era. Let's take a quick break and then I have a question for you about enforcement. Welcome back to Wine and Dandy, where we are with the bubbles expert. Sophie, we've been talking about how only sparkling wines from champagne can be called champagne. How do they enforce that? Because, I mean, you'll hear all over the world people are using similar grapes for a different style of a particular wine. How is champagne different? In terms of, like, enforcing what's on the label, um, that's really hard to do. Uh, The way that the word champagne got co-opted by sparkling wines from other parts of the world was by basically writing champagne method. And so by writing Uh. champagne method, these wines are made in the style of champagne. You were saying... This is champagne-like, but it's not from champagne. And elaborate on what the champagne method is. So the champagne method is the specific uh, way that sparkling wine is made in champagne. It is basically revolves around the process of a second fermentation where you make the base wine, you ferment it, um, and then you put into the bottle a little bit of sugar and a little bit of yeast, Uh and you basically start a second fermentation in the bottle. Champagne requires that second fermentation to take place over a large period of time in a freezing cold cellar. Mm -hmm. Again, back to the temperature there. Okay. Um, And... Typically has longer like regulations on how much time the wine needs to spend in its second fermentation process. And how long is it? You say it's a large amount of time. It's two. It's eighteen, 18 months to two years what? for like a regular champagne. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it's four years for a vintage champagne or like a brut reserve or something like that. Like a Dom Perignon. How much is that? Oh is my super gosh! Expensive? Yeah, Dom Perignon is. Oh, I, I'm sorry. I I actually don't know that much about the larger champagne houses, but it's it's a long time. I mean, it would be, I would think, like, their current release is probably, like, in the 2010s, I would say. Oh, wow. So indicating that it, that it might have spent, you know, up to, like, eight years or something in okay. the process of the second fermentation. So the price 
is affected then by how long it's in that second fermentation. Yeah, for sure. Okay. For sure. sure. Exactly. So yeah, with kind of prestige cuvées, a lot of the price is connected to how long it took to make it because as long as it's sitting in your cellar, you're not selling it, yeah. right? Yeah. right? So so basically you're paying for that really really long slow process that rewards the drinker with like the finest bubbles and the most complex expression. Ah. So there's certainly a reason to pay for it. And you mentioned fine bubbles, and I would imagine because it, the longer it sits in there, the more bubbles are created by the bacteria. And that makes smaller bubbles, right? Yeah, smaller bubbles, a finer texture. Um, it increases the yeasty flavors. So yeastiness or like toastiness or brioches, and those are other flavor associates with champagne. And mm. it is because <laughs> of that long, slow process where basically we're making bubbles in the bottle and we're getting f- autolysis flavors, which are basically yeasty flavors. I was going to say, look at you, fancy big word. I know. She's probably good at Scrabble. Oh, I'm uh, terrible at Scrabble. <laughs> terrible. I am too. I can't spell to save gonna, my life. Look at that wordle, which is my current obsession. Mine too, did you get today's? <laughs> no, they're always hard. I get to my third try and I'm like, I hate this. And then I text my son and he gives me a hint. I'm cheating. You are 100% cheating. Work yeah. your brain, sis. And yet I, well, you know, I've had a really rough beginning of the year. So I feel <laughs> yeah, like true. You have. even putting five letters down on paper is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I digress. What were you going to ask? I was going to ask you, you know, since the, the, you're putting sugar in yeast, which makes the yeast eats the sugar, which in case you don't know, then they fart out the gas and that's where the bubbles come from. I'm just going to say it as it is. Do bottles ever blow up? They do not. Really? Um, How do they keep that from happening? You would think. That's a really good question. I mean, they usually use a crown cap during the second fermentation, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And then um, they will typically have the bottles slanted at an angle with the neck of the bottle and the crown cap at the bottom. And then they'll rise. Yeah. And then they'll do the riddling, which is where you twist the bottle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. To allow the, the deposit to float all the way into the neck of the bottle. They really don't have explosions. I mean, I, I, I imagine if you shook up the bottle and agitated it, you could get an explosion. Um, you really wanted one. Sure. That's yeah. a lot for the quality of glass and champagne. Well, the glass say. is always thicker. Yeah. But I mean, those, those um, you know, the corks and the cages that they eventually put around the champagne, the, you know, the champagne bottles, like, those are there for a reason. I mean, right. those are there to, like, yeah. make sure that you don't get an explosion. Um, I will tell you what is very explosive is the process of disgorgement. Um, I'm sorry, what? So disgorgement, <laughs> this is actually, this is, this is a great word to know, actually, in talking okay. about champagne. Okay. <laughs> disgorgement is when you take off the crown cap, shoot out the little uh, deposit of dead yeast cells, okay. and then recork it with the cork you're going to use and put the cage on the top. And this that is not process done by is, hand, is it? Well, some people do it by hand. They want to lose an eye. No doubt. I mean, I've seen a lot of hand disgorgements. Tiny producers will sometimes disgorge their entire production. But what is more common is some kind of assembly line where the disgorgement is done by a machine. I can't imagine being able fast enough. Okay, so I have one more question. Oh, actually, I have two. But uh, one is, why is champagne so renowned throughout the world? Well, champagne really did a good job marketing its wares like toward the end, middle of the 19th century. It became associated with a prestige sparkling wine that became very, very, very popular. They had a good method for making it and they had a big market and it really became associated with luxury and you know, uh, um, fine experiences. Uh, it was really, it was really a marketing, a, a marketing thing in the 19th century that made that possible. Hmm. Well, my last one is before we get into this wine, and maybe I can ask you this later, but I'm gonna ask you now. You, you're an expert in wine, right? Uh, yeah, more than most. Yeah. yeah, I know, I know a lot about wine. Yeah, yeah. I'd say that. Do you ever confidence. find yourself like I do when I'm at Wegmans or at like you know Harris Teeter? 
wanting to help people who look desperately lost in the wine section? Because I know I do. Yes. And yes. do you actually do it or you just want to? Um, yeah, occasionally I'll do it. Yeah. Um, I mean, in Wegmans, I do it pretty often because they never have enough people working on the floor there. And I go there to sell, to, to merchandise right. the products I sell. Like, sell buy yeah. our wine. So whenever <laughs> I see, because I was in wine retail for a long, long, long time. And when I see people looking lost in a wine section, it makes me really sad. Because I feel, I feel that a person should be on deck to steer the, the person toward what they're I, looking I for. I feel the same. I'm always yeah. like, I could help you. And then I'm like, I should... I. And there so often, I it would be too often for me to be helping someone. They think you work there. Just what are you looking for? What do you like? Are you a Syrah fit? Oh, Syrah. Okay. And then like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. What do I you just, want to spend? What area do you like it from? You could totally do that. Yeah. Well, you I have done that. it. I used to work in a wine store. No, I mean, you could totally do that at Wegmans. <laughs> I could. Yeah. Only if they gave me a discount. Anyway, we digress. Let's take another short break and then we'll get into tasting wine. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Wine and Dandy Podcast. We would love to hear from you and answer any questions that you have. Sophie Barrett's here. She is the friend of Bubbles, also a wine expert and wine salesperson for the Hall River Wine Man, which is where my husband works. So what are we tasting today? Well, I brought two uh, different bottles of wine today that I, I think are going to be an interesting, um, you know, topic, uh, interesting top conversation topics, but also delicious to drink. That's the most important part, Sophie. <laughs> She's pulling them out of her insulated bag. Yes, yes. Um, you'll have to excuse me. One of them I opened yesterday to give a couple of my customers a taste, and then I sold some. So hopefully that will not be a, uh, a deal breaker for you guys. I have to say, this thing that you have recorked the champagne bottle with is a heifer cork. Yeah. What on earth? Earth. May I see that? Yes. Well, that is another What's reason that? why I thought that it might be fun to have one that was already under a, a closure because these things can be really, really, really useful. It's a champagne stopper. I recommend that anybody that takes more than a casual interest in drinking sparkling wine get one of these. Oh, at least one. So most people will tell me, oh, but I don't have trouble, you know, taking the bottle to the dome. And there's not going to be any leftover. And it's like, yeah, you know, totally. But what if there's like a glass leftover, you yeah. know, and these things work so well. And champagne and sparkling wines in general stay good open in the fridge really well. And so I just strongly recommend they're going to hold up better than a Sauvignon Blanc, like better than a Pinot Noir. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. you know, get one of these and just don't feel like you have to, you know, finish the bottle in a I sitting. Just, I just want to say thank you for giving me a new term, take it to the dome. Love yeah. it. Uh, that's very interesting because I have always thought that if you open a bottle of sparkling wine or you know, champagne, that that's it. That girl gone. Well, that is a popular misconception. And I think one of the reasons is that it's it is impossible to get the original cork back into the bottle oh, yeah, because impossible. they like are all flayed out and stuff yeah, like that. Right. So you really need to have one of these. And I will say, especially champagne, because if you think about that long, slow second fermentation, the bubbles are like knit into the fabric of the wine and they are not oh. going anywhere. And oh. you can leave a bottle of good champagne open in the fridge without even a champagne stopper in it for a couple of days. And can it'll stay really? bubbly. Yes. These wines have so much structure that wow. they will stay open for uh, several days. Uh, we don't yeah. recommend wow. you leave it open in your fridge. You should have one yeah, of these great yeah, stoppers. Uh, yeah, exactly. But if you did, you you might be surprised to find um, how, oh, stand here how many bubbles will still be in the bottle. <laughs> this has um, just totally rocked my world. And I love how you said the bubbles are knit into the I felt fabric. the same. Yes, hey. it's so true because this is one of the things that a person notices when tasting the different styles of sparkling wine. I think you, Sarah, we were starting to ask about that, you know, the different styles of sparkling wine, right. and specifically the champagne method. So the champagne method 
makes a stronger bubble, essentially. Like, it, it, it makes a finer bubble, but it makes a stronger bubble. So Prosecco, which we're also going to be tasting, is made in a tank with a forced carbonation. Mm-hmm. And that will not create as, like, strong a bubble. And so you are going to lose more in a Prosecco or in a wine made using the Charmant method, which is that tank fermentation, mm-hmm. than you will in a wine that has undergone, like, a proper second fermentation. Okay, so... I definitely don't want to say that to knock Prosecco, though, because Prosecco is a great beverage, and there are lots of good ones, and it has a wonderful place in our, like, drinking lives. And I absolutely am totally smitten by the bottle of Prosecco that I brought today, and so, you know, we'll definitely, you know, talk about what's great about Prosecco, too, and other kinds of sparkling wine. All right, well, let's get to tasting. Sure. So what should we taste first? I see that you're opening a tiny, a wee tiny half bottle of champagne. Yes, I'm opening a wee tiny half bottle of champagne because I figured, you know, we probably didn't need, uh, you know, to uh, take a whole bottle to the three of our domes this morning. This is a champagne. Champagne from the Champagne region of France. It is a Grand Cru. It is from the Grand Cru of Cremant. What does Grand Cru mean, just for those who don't know? Grand Cru is the best vineyard sites. And the confusing thing about Grand Cru is that it can mean different things in different regions of France. But Fabulous. at the basic level, <laughs> what it means is these are the best vineyards. Okay. Um, this wine is uh, made out of Chardonnay. The Grand Cru of Cremant is in the Côte, Côte Blanc. So the Côte Blanc makes Chardonnay-based champagnes. They're not always 100%, but they are typically majority Chardonnay. What kind of grapes typically go into champagne? What are the choices? Because I know that's regulated. Yes, very much so. Champagne has a regulating body called the CIVC that's one of the most strict in the winemaking world. So Ah. champagne has a crap load of regulations on it. They are very interested in preserving the prestige of the product that they have made and marketed around the world. So there are a lot of controls on champagne, a lot more than in most other regions. And so what are the grapes that they use in So the three main champagne grapes are Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, and Pinot Meunier. Chardonnay is a white grape variety. Pinot Noir and Pinot Meunier are both red grape varieties. Typically in Champagne, those red grapes will ultimately manifest as a white wine because the grape juice is pressed directly off the skins, Mm -hmm. not allowing any time for maceration, which would give the wine color. I know this. I'm just going to add this while you pop that baby open. That if you see Blanc de Blancs, that means it's Champagne made from... White grapes. White grapes. Yeah. And Blanc de Noir, which is made from the red grapes. Yeah. Blanc de Blanc is a lot more common than Blanc de Noir. Most champagne producers in like the Grand Cru's of um, the Montagne de Reims, which is where the most prestigious Pinot Noir-based champagnes come from, mm. are using a little bit of Chardonnay in their blends. Blanc-, Blanc de Noir is actually quite rare, but it's really, really delicious. And I encourage everyone who is excited about champagne to try a Blanc de Noir. Now, I'm watching you open this bottle because what I have heard, and you can confirm or deny, is you hold the cork, twist the bottle. So this happens a lot where, like, I grab the bottom of my shirt and I wrap the bottom of my shirt around the the top of the wine because it's really important to hold it slowly and do it slowly because doing it fast, whether you twist the cork Mm -hmm. or the bottle, doing it fast is what's going to give you a lot of wine all over the place. And that can be fun on the porch, but I don't want to do that in your lovely studio. Our our engineer appreciates that. (laughs) I always do it with, if I'm doing sparkling... I do a, a dish towel over the top and do it, twist the bottle slowly, and that is what I had heard probably from Sarah. That's what I have always found to work. Of course, if the bottle has been agitated, it's going to make a big explosion yeah. no matter how slowly you do and it. And don't invite that person back, guys, yeah, if someone's seriously. agitated your champagne. I have a life goal involving champagne, which is to use a sword to open one. Oh, my nephew can do that. He doesn't even drink wine typically, but he knows how to do that. 
How, where, does he have a sword lying around? He uses a very large kitchen knife. Mm-hmm. Ooh, you can do it with a kitchen knife. I will be trying this this weekend. That's really <laughs> funny because I just did my first sabering adventure um, nice. a couple of weeks ago with my best friend Susanna, and we literally sabered a bottle of Lambrusco that we couldn't get open with a butter knife on her porch, and it was hilarious. A butter knife? Yes, we, we sabered it yeah. with a butter knife because the cork was really in there and we couldn't get it Lambruscos open any other way. Lambruscos are like so. especially hard to get out. That's something I've noticed as a person who used to sell a lot of wine mm-hmm. and open it at tables when I served, is that Lambrusco and Prosecco both have really hard corks to get out. Yep. Okay, so yep. tell everybody again what we're drinking. Mm. Okay, this is the Guillermandier Cremant Grand Cru. It is Blanc de Blanc, so it's 100% Chardonnay, mm-hmm. and it is Brut Zero. So Brut Zero refers to the amount of dosage that's in the, the bottle. Dosage is something that is added after the disgorgement at the time of bottling, mm-hmm. or at the time of Corking, corking, it, corking yeah. exactly. And it's a little bit of sugar or oh. grape must that is added to balance the wine and to get the desired sweetness level that the producer is looking for. So Brute Zero is no sugar added at that stage. Now, it's important. It's not no sugar added at all because to get the second fermentation, you have to have a little bit of sugar added along with the right, yeast. Right, right. So no sugar added after the disgorgement. It's funny because, to me, it smells very sweet. Well, to that, I would say grapes have been getting riper in champagne. And ah, so yes. going back to our conversation about you know climate change, yeah, there's been a lot more interest in making Brut Nature and drier champagnes because the grapes are getting riper. It used mm. to be when... You know, the grapes weren't really getting ripe that you really did need sugar because otherwise your wine would just be so sour. I mean, yeah. champagne gets some of the raciest acid in the winemaking world, probably paralleled only by German Riesling in terms yeah. of like how much acid is actually in there. Gotcha. So really aggressive acidity in bone dry can be a little off-putting, you know, even for people who are like really into that, like me, you know, it, you need to be eating oysters or something yeah. like that, you know, or right, else it yeah. can be just a little too much. And so um, I get lemon. Yes, I get a lot of super lemon. citrusy. But again, this is speaking to the climate that we're in. We're in northern France. It's very cold. Mm-hmm. Chardonnay is a blank slate. It will taste like where you plant it and what you do to it. Oh. Um, so this is a very cold region. You're going to get those lemony notes. You're going to get this sort of chalkiness. Um, mm-hmm. I really love this wine. I think it's really, really, really nicely balanced, even with no added sugar. Let's test it. Let's check it. Let's do it. Mm, that'll do. That's so good. That's very lovely. <laughs> Wow, it's not every day we get to have this, I can tell you. <laughs> well, I'm going to be leaving it with you guys, so I hope, you, uh, I hope you'll I hope you enjoy it later on today or whenever or, you, you know, like. Or, you know, like right after this. To say, the bubbles were so fine, I hardly even tasted them. Mm, yeah. This is, mm. Just out of curiosity, retail, what would a regular size bottle of this run you? 60, 70 bucks. Well, ding, dang, dong, I must say. This yeah. is, again, not something we have every day. Yeah, yeah. And, and if you're in a restaurant, times that number by four. Exactly. Yeah. 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 The bubbles are so tiny. Yeah, the bubbles are tiny. Super mm. tiny. And Cremant, did, I heard once that Cremant means creamy. Is that right? <laughs> you're oh. saying Cremant, and this bottle of wine is from Cremant. So oh, let's talk oh. about that. because oh, this geez, is, Sarah. This is I don't know French. This is confusing to so, so, so many people. The word Cremant, which is spelled C-R-E accent M-A-N-T. Yes. That refers to a wine that is made using the champagne method in another part of France. Cremant d'Alsace, Cremant de Jura, Cremant de Bourgogne. Those are all sparkling wines made using the champagne method in parts of France that are not champagne. Cremant, on the other hand, is a Grand Cru in the Côté Blanc that is confusing. So is the only difference that first vowel then? Yeah, the first vowel is the only difference. A is the region, E is Is the method method. elsewhere. Yeah. Okay. 
Well, that was delicious. It was yeah. delicious. Good. I loved it. And yeah. I, don't, like I, it? Get, I mostly get like lemon. I don't get like brioche or anything mm-hmm. on this. And I, you know what? This is not super toasty. Um, probably has not been on the lees for too, too, too terribly long because, as you can see from the cork, we have 2017 here. So, ah. entirely possible that you would get more of those brioche notes from a wine that had spent longer in its second fermentation. Mm-hmm. Um, we should also check and see when this was disgorged. Okay. Uh, disgorged on the 15th of July in 2021. So that would be. Not a very long time post-disgorgement. Mm-hmm. So it makes a huge difference whether the aging is done as part of the second fermentation with the wine still on its yeast right. or aged in the bottle after disgorgement. Because it speeds up the aging a lot to have it already disgorged. Oh, It's part of the thing that's so magical about this process of, of making champagne is that when the wine is on the lees, we say, mm-hmm. on its on its yeast in the bottle, not yet disgorged. The, the yeast basically acts as a preservative, and the wine can age for a really long time. Good to know. Like decades. Okay, so if you were buying champagne as an investment, you would look for wine that, that has not been disgorged. Yes, I would look for, I, I always think the disgorgement date is super important to check, because if you're looking for a really fresh style like this is, mm-hmm. you will want it to have been disgorged relatively recently, like within the Good past year or two. If you're looking for like a savory wine with lots of umami notes and mushroomy and oxidative, a wine with, you know, 10 years post-disgorgement is going to be totally fine. The bubbles will be basically non-existent, but the wine will still have a lot of flavor. So it makes a big difference whether it was in the bottle before disgorgement or after. And now we're going to try a Prosecco. Prosecco is a large region in the northeastern part of Italy in the Veneto. As we discussed earlier, they have a different style of making sparkling wine there. The grape is different, too. It's, I think it's the Galera. Yes, yes, you got it. Job. You got it. Galera, it Galera is the great grape of Prosecco. Okay. <clears throat> oh, I like it. I like it. Whoa! So it's good that we did this because you can see. So I poured this wine for probably four people yesterday, corked it up with this thing. So much of the carbonation is retained by using this. Yeah. Um, I mean, hopefully you guys heard that, but if not, it sounded like she shot someone. (laughs) So here we are. We have a glass full of Prosecco. It smells terrific. It's it's a much, I think, lighter note. It's almost mm -hmm. like a rose that doesn't that isn't over scented. Galera is is an aromatic grape variety, and often you will get some of those florals on the nose with Prosecco, which is great. Is again back to the point of like, you know, there's no like champagne is 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 expensive and prestigious. Prosecco is also wonderful and a yes. lot more accessible price wise, and often a lot more accessible in the flavor profile as well. And yeah, speak to if you would, because a lot of people hear Prosecco and they think, oh, so sweet. Yeah, a lot of times mm. it is sweet. Mm-hmm. That's totally wrong on so many levels because there is such a range. Speak to that if you would. Well, yeah, that was actually one of the things that I most wanted to talk about today was the range of sweetnesses that are possible within sparkling wine and how to make it a little bit more clear, like to yes. the to the buyer, kind of what you're getting. So brute is the most common designation. And okay. brute is supposed to be between 5 grams and like 12 or 14 grams of sugar in the bottle. That's a fairly like prescribed amount of sugar for that designation. Brute means dry, though. So we're still, we've got sugar in the bottle, but we're still considering it to be a dry wine. And a lot of that is because all sparkling wines that are good have a 
crap load of acidity in them, mm-hmm. right? And yes. so you can have 12 grams of sugar in a wine, and if your pH is like under three, the wine is still going to taste quite, quite dry. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. So if someone were looking for a not sweet Prosecco, they would look for Brut. I would say look for Brut, yeah. And so if they are looking for a sweet Prosecco, just... It shouldn't say brood on the label. If it doesn't say brood on the label, it's a, probably a, a decently good like, uh, yeah, indication that it's got some sweetness to it. This particular wine, um, actually part of the reason that I chose to bring it, so we're tasting the Belle Cassel Asolo Prosecco Superiore Extra Dry. Ah, good. So, but Extra Dry is sweeter than Brut. Oh, oh, hold yes, on. Yes, 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 yes. This <laughs> is really minute. confusing. You just broke Jamie. I know. I, <laughs> yeah. I know. But 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 this the the breaking is going to lead to greater understanding Let's and demystification. Go. Okay. Give it to us. So, <clears throat> brute is the standard, right? And brute means dry. On the drier side of brute, we have extra brute. Okay. And then on the drier side of extra brute, we have brute zero or brute nature, which means no sugar has been added at all. So, you said before that brute is drier than extra brute? Brute is sweeter than extra brute. Okay, got it. Oh, but that opposite. But it is brute is drier than extra dry. That's where the confusion uh, comes in. So there's extra dry, oh. brute, yes. so extra have, brute, brute zero. Yes. So we have brute in the middle, yes. and then on the drier side, we have extra brute. Okay. And on the sweeter side, we have extra dry. But okay. my point in bringing a Prosecco that is categorized as extra dry mm-hmm. is to show that there is yet a sweeter, fruitier style that's still really balanced and really delicious, and that if if you are a person who enjoys a slightly sweeter wine, you should not feel embarrassed about that. You should rather feel empowered to be able to pick out one of those and enjoy it. Nice yes, job, girl. Empower- we're all about empowerment. Cheers know, to that. Yeah, I just, I'm like the idea. Okay, so so Italians drink a ton of champagne. Italians love bubbles. They also have a great appreciation for lightly sweet bubbles. And so, you know, it would be ridiculous to hold Prosecco to the standards of champagne. It's its own category. Right. And within that, a lot of pleasure to be delivered along a spectrum from quite dry to a little bit sweeter. Okay. okay. Well, I just took a sip because I couldn't. I couldn't have it. Mean, she can't stand it. She's I know. around a bubble. Got to be in her mouth. It's my favorite. The bubbles are not nearly as tight mm-hmm. as the the Cremant Grand Cru mm-hmm. Guy Larmandier. Mm-hmm. Is that how you say it? Um, Larmandier. Larmandier. Yeah. yeah. You were very close. I was you trying. Work. You did really great. hard. You did great. Thank you. <laughs> I would definitely say this is more approachable. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, I yeah. was going to say, I actually prefer this, yeah. although I like both of them very I'm, much. You're not going to throw the champagne out of bed for eating crackers? Nope. Again, like, there's so many different styles of sparkling wine to enjoy. Mm-hmm. I think this is absolutely delicious, too. So a couple of weeks ago, you know, I've been with Hall River for almost three years. I had never sampled a bottle of this wine because I was afraid because it said extra dry on the label. And I'm a snob, and I like dry champagne. <laughs> so I'm thinking, so I'm thinking, like, oh my god, this is going to be so sweet, blah blah blah. I was so snobby about it, and it was Eddie, Sarah's husband, who said, "Oh, that wine is freaking delicious. You got to get that in the Shout bag." Shout out to Eduardo. Got it in the bag, sold some immediately, and have been championing it ever since because it is so delicious, and there is no like, you know, it's got to be dry to be good. And um, I just want to speak to the strength of these bottles. This is a side story. I went to the warehouse where they keep all their wine mm-hmm. as a favor to Eddie on my way back on a trip uh-huh. to pick up some wine for a client. Bella Cassell was the, one of the wines, and so I tried to carry it back to the car while your boss, Jim, carried some others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I dropped the whole case down the stairs. Oh. It rolled like four times. I was mortified. I was like, oh, my God. Not a single bottle broke, though. Dang. Strong bottle of wine right here, yeah. y'all. Mm-hmm. So how much would this, since you said Prosecco's are, in terms of a cost point, probably more approachable than Champagne right. from Champagne, how much would this bottle run you retail, like roughly? Like $16, $17. Uh, 
That's hey. what I'm talking about. That's yeah. what I'm talking about. You have a significantly better value for yes. still yes. a very good wine. It's yes. delicious. Both are great. It, that is a conversation that's been hatched in many a, a wine geek sphere, is the how many bottles of really good Cremant or Prosecco could I have for one bottle of X, like super prestigious champagne. Mm-hmm. And it's a totally valid argument. The, the counter argument is really, in my opinion, only that people who want champagne and who want that flavor profile will not be satisfied by anything else. Right. Because yeah, there is, is definitely... not anything else that tastes like champagne. Plus, they tend to want champagne on the label. It needs yeah. to say champagne, mm-hmm. yeah. right? Hence the popularity of, of Clicquot Yellow Label, probably the best-selling champagne of all time. Also started by a lady, mm-hmm. Madame Clicquot. Yeah. Well, I think that we've covered it. This has been fascinating and delicious. I was going to say, and delicious. And it's so nice for people to have an idea now of, A, some options, and the fact that you can leave that bad boy, and you can open a bottle of champagne. Paradigm shifting. Yeah, exactly. Sarah's like, my entire refrigerator plan has changed. Yes, I need way more room for way more bubbles. And that glass or two on the second day may be even better than they were on the first day. (gasps) This is like casserole or lasagna. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Okay. Totally. Sure, sure, sure. Okay. So that really means that a Magnum is the right size, right? Because you need a bottle for the first night, but then you need a bottle for the second night. That's a super good point. Sophie, thank you so much. And thanks to Hall River Wine Man and women for coming out (laughs) and bringing your wares to us. Yes. You're welcome. I had such a good time being here. Thank you guys so much for having me. This was a blast. I'm glad you like the wine. Buy some bubbles and you don't have to drink it all in one day. You can. Or as the French say, santé. 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 I'm Dana Merrill, the owner of The Designery in North Raleigh. And I am True Merrill. I am the project manager. The Designery is a lovely kitchen, bath, and closet remodeling company. We've been asked several times how to host more people or build out entertainment spaces for folks. There's a lot of things that we can do. Depending on the size of your base, we can add in an island to get you more countertop space. We can put in some larger ovens so you can cook larger meals. We do beer bars. We can do wine bars. We can do soda machines, coolers, all that kind of stuff. Please stop by our showroom, 3030 Wake Forest Road. That's The Designery at thedesignery.com. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at chumpacasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday. I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.